Colorado doesn't want to pay the players, but it sure wants you to gamble on sports. Yogi Roth comes up with a six-game spring season plan, and the Pac-12's testing partnerships may lead to an early return. Oregon players are leaving in the droves for the NFL draft, but Oregon State fans, they do not want a refund on their tickets. The Pac-12 and the Big Ten might ultimately look like geniuses. Who is getting recruited and who is committing? And the Pac-12 players on NFL rosters right now. And of course, start, sit, cut. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden. And this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles, the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans, where you get the absolute real. Make sure that you leave a five-star review, no matter what Ralph tells you, to just give us what we deserve. No, give us a five-star review and write a glowing review as well. And you make sure that uh, you share with a friend, tell a friend about the podcast. That is for us. Um, and you can get a hold of us. I'm at I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. Make sure you hit us up. And you can hit us up on Twitter at Pac-12 Apostles. I'm at George Reister. He's at Ralph Amsden. We will sure to get back with you. Let's get to the show. Ralph's a lot been going on in the Pac-12 right now, man. I mean, but... The good news is at least we're not the Big Ten, right? Like the Big Ten has been going through turmoil every single day. Oh, we're coming back. No, we're not coming back. You got all the ADs, presidents fighting, the government involved. Like, it's isn't it the one time to, where it's great to be the Pac-12 right now? I agree with you. However, there are others who believe that that shows a lack of initiative and passion from the Pac-12, its fans, its athletic departments, its players. Um, I, I'm I'm good to be drama free just for for a minute and and let everybody else go out there and take the take the bullets. Um, I'm I'm good to just sit back and 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 figure things out. Um, but. I, I have noticed that any bullets we do catch are, are, are typically a criticism of our our uh, inaction, I guess. But we did take action. We took action, and action has been taken. So now we're chilling and waiting for the next step. Don't you think, though, that – well, for, for for me, I like the fact that everybody is on the same page, at least publicly. Because all this infighting, all I mean, like the, the last thing the Pac-12 needs to do is find a reason to hire more consultants. <laughs> if they were fighting each other publicly, I mean, and truthfully, with with the regulations in California and Oregon specifically, and then a little bit in Washington, how can you even fight publicly? I mean, there's nothing to do. There's no high school football happening. There's no college football happening. The pro football testing is completely different. So they're operating under different rules. I mean, the the schools, the colleges aren't on campuses. So it's a different scenario because in the Big Ten, you had these schools trying to bring all these kids on campus. And then they've a lot. Wisconsin is shut down. Um, uh, Mississippi State has had to. 
And so have a lot of other uh, colleges. So it's like, how are you going to continue to fight this if you were in the Pac-12? I just, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it makes me want to go get a job as a consultant and hope that the Pac-12 needs, uh, is, is feeling generous <laughs> and wants to kick out some more cash for solutions that you should be able to come up with on your own. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm watching what's going on everywhere else with a very curious eye. I'm happy that football's back in part, you know, at the same time watching Baylor have to delay um, watching Arkansas state after they beat Kansas state turn around and have to shut things down and not be able to play central Arkansas, uh, BYU cancel against army. Um, the weird mixed reaction to coach O's comments that most of his team has already had it. Um, I don't know. The whole, the whole thing is just fascinating. And, and, and I feel very much like an outsider because that's, that's what we are now. We're just on the outside looking in, watching college football. And I felt for the players who were tweeting on Saturday that they wish that they could be out there. You know, that has to be really tough for them because there's still no plan. We don't know if we're going to get spring. We don't know if we're going to get late fall. I know John Wilner is out here saying that the possibility exists that they could do something maybe starting in late October. But we, we don't know. And until we know, you know, we, we just have to sit back and watch. I'm not rooting for anybody well, to fail. I can well, say that I confidently. I don't think that that's even possible. Like I, I did a calculation about when they could start because so the whole conference has to obviously start at one time, like have a uniform start date. So Oregon players are supposed to be back on campus September 20th. Okay. Like that's the date that they had given them to be recalled, which is this upcoming Sunday. So, but all of the campuses can't do that. Like the, the California schools aren't even clear to be taken center quarterback center exchanges yet. So, so if, so, so if you look at from today to if you look at from today, you got six weeks from today, which puts us at October 20th because there's that six week ramp up period that you have to have that the NCAA and the Pac-12 has said is what they feel is enough time to get you ready. So that already puts you at October 20th. So how does that work? Like, and when all your schools aren't even going to be recalled, Utah has furloughed their their head coach. How does this work? I mean, it, it seems like to me the earliest that they could get get back. So let's say that everybody recalled their their players and their students. Granted, like some of them, like Oregon's, have already been recalled, and they're looking at September twentieth. So that puts at maybe Utah and some of the other schools maybe mm, first week of October. Maybe so. Let's say October fourth. Then you got six weeks from there. You're already looking at November eighth or fifteenth. I mean, so I I just don't know how this this works, and these October start dates seem ridiculous to me. I mean, when when would you? I know I know that it doesn't matter because it's not up to anybody because California primarily, and then Oregon. Uh, as a state, the state governments really actually control the narrative of what's going on here. I mean, could you see, could you see the possibility of the half of the Pac-12 moving forward with the Big Ten to do something 
if the Oregon schools and California schools can't participate? And would you support the other schools that are not in states that have stricter um, policies toward everything that, that's going on? Would you would you condone them participating without USC, UCLA, Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State, and Cal? No. No, I don't think it's a good idea. The The same way I don't think it's a good idea for the Big Ten or the SEC or ACC or Big 12 to do it without everybody involved. I think that you create a monumental, uh, like, w- another thing to fight about because then you're going to be fighting about who gets the revenue. Oh, you didn't participate, so this is all of our TV money. We're going to split this. It, like, you j- just created a whole other can of worms and the other question is, who the hell are you going to play? Who are you going to play? Are you going to play all Big Ten schools? How many of them are there? Yeah, well, I mean, Yogi Roth did pitch the idea of a six-game season starting in the, I guess not spring, because spring starts March 21st, so it'd be more of a winter. Um, it'd be more of a winter season, a six-game season, then you take the two um, Pac-12 teams that are kind of atop the North and South, and then they play uh, the equivalent of a conference championship for the seventh game. And then that is the self-contained Pac-12 season. What do you think of that? I think it's an option. I think that's a thought. <laughs> you know, I, I've been more in favor of an eight-game spring season and but i would consider a seven game with like maybe a two game playoff between the um with with the big 10 if you can marry up those schedules i, I think the optimal scenario for the pac 12 is to find a way to live and coexist with the big 10 in terms of scheduling i mean so you you should probably everybody should get a bowl right uh, there's yeah. what there's 14 Big Ten teams. Yeah, yeah, that means there's enough people to play. So maybe one Big Ten team is stuck playing another Big Ten team in a bowl, and then everybody else gets matched up evenly across the board after a six or seven game season. Then everyone gets a bowl, and uh, I mean that that could be that could be a cool thing. But what impression have you ever gotten that the Big Ten and Pac-12 are cooperating with each other? Because I'm not sure I've ever really gotten that vibe. Not at all? Not really. I mean, one following the other one around doesn't put them on equal footing. So that's your take on it, that the Pac-12 is, I'm sorry, that that, that the Big Ten is following the Pac-12 around? No, it's the opposite. The Pac- <laughs> yeah. It was a joke. You <laughs> got me. I was like, what? what? <laughs> How did this get lost in translation? No, I just think, I think that uh, I, I've never gotten the vibe that the Big Ten wants to be anything more than friends, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. So I, I just, I don't think that this relationship, I don't even hear anything from the people at the, you know, that actually are in the room when it happens, the, the big decision makers, I don't hear anything from them that makes it sound like there's any cooperation whatsoever. I tell you what, 2020 has been a huge year for completely obliterating this idea that I've held firm to for the last few years, 
which is that the conferences don't really matter that much. It's all just college football. And if we were to do away with the conferences, we'd all kind of be um, better off to just have one big pool of college football teams and people are allowed to play whoever they play. Then you match them up at the end of the season, either in a playoff or based on, you know, where their, where their ranking finishes out. I always thought that the conference was the most expendable thing um, about college football. And now after 2020 and watching three conferences go ahead and play uh, while two sit back and the two that are sitting back don't seem to be communicating with each other, I th- I think I was mistaken. I think the conferences not only matter, but are are probably um, firmly entrenched as maybe the most important thing uh, about college football. And I, I don't think I like that that much. <laughs> well, yeah, they are in control over pretty much everything. And, oh, man, I, I, I am a person who believes that college football needs to break away from all the other sports and that it needs to have its own individual commissioner who presides over everything. That way you don't have the problem that you have right, right now. And they have their own board of medical experts. So everybody is on the same page because I think that when, when you have five separate power, five pages plus Notre Dame, and BYU that that it just creates too much, you know, like there there there's too many cooks in the kitchen. And also football is clearly different than every other sport. A because it funds the other sports and also because people have a have a much bigger appetite for it. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that college football definitely does need to have its own thing. You so making it like club affiliate, not under the NCAA, not under the rules of amateurism. Correct, correct. Because it's clear that the NC the NCAA, who said that they shouldn't be playing games anyway, that they don't have any power over that. Like they they have power over schools as far as basketball and all the other sports that fall under the NCAA championships, but this isn't the NCAA. This isn't an NCAA championship with football. So they don't have the same power and jurisdiction over it. So why, why should they be in charge of anything if they're really in charge of nothing already? Yeah, I I think they're going to disagree with you. Um, I think, you know, they're one of those entities that'll do whatever it takes to justify their own existence. Um, and, and that, you know, they exist sort of just to fund themselves, every operation, every regulation, everything they come up with creates jobs within the structure of the NCAA, whether it's enforcement, um, or just, you know, putting on tournaments. I mean, I got, I got a friend who works, uh, relatively high up, um, for the NCAA and, uh, she's a good person. And so, you know, when I speak with any animosity over the, the, the organization in general, I don't think that they're out to do harm or cause evil or anything like that. I just think that it's an organization that exists to justify its own existence, just like a lot of organizations, just like a lot of bureaucracies. Um, rules are good. 
if you are the rule keeper, if you're in the rule keeping business, then rules are good. Um, and you know, I just, I don't know. I, I think life away from the NCAA wouldn't be uh, utopia. I'm sure that the NCAA does some things that the leagues in it of themselves would have a hard time duplicating. But I just, at this point, I don't really see the overall usefulness. I think it can be duplicated. I think it can be, I think they can be cut out of the process. I think it can be privatized. And, uh, and I think we can do away with amateurism altogether and make sure that uh, the people who work to make sure this whole racket is being funded get compensated accordingly. And at the same time, keep some sort of club affiliation with the schools so the schools can benefit themselves. But what does that mean for conferences, George? Would you, would, would that be the end of conferences as we know it? Or would that give the conferences even more power because they'd essentially be in charge of all of the, the, the governing and whatnot? Well, I, I think that we're moving – well, I thought we were moving toward a potential 64-team power – power conference plus Notre Dame and BYU. I thought that that's where we were heading, but it seems like with the different conferences already operating on their own agendas, that, that they'll want to keep their autonomy, you know, Do all 12 pac 12 teams make that power 64 yeah. conference. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, so do Maryland and Vanderbilt and, you know, and, and uh, and all the other and Rutgers and all the other bad schools, unless you kick them out and bring in, you know, Memphis and Houston. You, you could know. you could have like a promotion and relegation type thing. That could be a lot of fun to where you have like a power five and a group of five. And if you win your power five conference, you get bumped up if you're top two. In your group of five conference, you get bumped up. And if you're bottom two in your power five, you get bumped down. Dude. I, I love would, that idea. Dude, relegation in sports. I wish we had that here in the United States. I would, I promise you, I would be all in on relegation because the the fact that you're always playing for your seat at the table makes it just that much more interesting. And that's something that soccer gets right. That is something that they absolutely get right. It would be interesting to see, like, the you know, Boise State get thrown into the Pac-12 uh, based on their Mountain West performance. You know, that, that'd be – I think that'd be a lot of fun. But you would have schools like BYU and, and Notre Dame that would have to make some pretty important decisions. Yeah. 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 That <laughs> That's very true. Um there is something significant going on, though, with the... Re- well, actually, before we even get to the, the, the return to play, I just want to tell people, because there was a hearing today on the name, image, and likeness stuff as it relates to college football players being able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. And there are so many people that believe that the game will change and the fundamental things that they love about college sports will will uh, change. But I I just don't see that because it's already a business like like these like some of these kids have already been uh, either 
paid, got gotten special treatment. They and they understand what it what it is. And they also understand, too, that it's a business for everybody else. Everybody else around them is getting rich. And they're not even asking to get rich. They're just asking to be able to trade off their name, image and likeness, like to be able to be like every other student on campus. It is weird because, I, you know, I followed Spencer Rattler and he just got his first start for Oklahoma. Four touchdown passes in the first half and continuing the the Oklahoma tradition of of absolutely balling out in Lincoln Riley's offense from the quarterback position. And so, you know, he's out there with Charleston Rambo and he uh, is going to be a household name. He's got a cool name, too. And he's got sort of a unique look and his game reminds people of Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, it's, it's going to be, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Spencer Rattler to take advantage of from this point on, if he just keeps his head in, in the playbook where he's about taking care of business, he'll be fine. But when he was in high school, when he was a freshman, sophomore, junior in high school, his, I mean, he, he was pretty well known out here. And I remember him and his dad got together and they came up with a clothing brand idea. It was like nappy heads clothing or something like that. And they were selling t-shirts and all that comes to an end. The second that he heads out to the university of Oklahoma. And I, I just remember thinking how stupid that is. Yeah that this was a dude who had offers before he ever took a snap his freshman year in high school. He was committed to University of Oklahoma for over two years. Thousands upon thousands of people knew who he was before he ever had to back up Jalen Hurts and Redshirt, and this dude can't even sell the T-shirts that he spent three and a half years selling as a student at University of Oklahoma. And I think that that's... That's absurd to me. Yep. I totally agree with you. Like it, because the idea that these kids have no value besides as their, you know, at, as it relates to the school is, is ridiculous. And the idea that they can't make money that doesn't come from the school, whether it's from YouTube podcasts, anything that that, mind you it's not coming out of the school's pocket i just cannot understand it and or understand how you can be okay morally with with them being treated differently than other students on, on campus and and not recognizing the the sacrifice because so many people will 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 say oh they're getting a free ride they're you know, they're living this luxurious life, but in reality, they don't realize how much that they have to sacrifice while they're there to go to school and play ball and how much sacrifice it took to get where they are. Like my 14 year old son, he just started high school uh, two weeks ago, all through the pandemic. This dude has been working out at least, at least 14 to 20 hours a week. 14 to 20 hours a week during the pandemic, all by himself or with me or in in the gym with nobody else there, lifting weights at home, running, all this stuff that nobody else will not know nobody because there are other kids who are doing it on their own time, too. But that other people aren't willing to make these sacrifices. It's 100 degrees outside. He's still outside working. It's it's, you know 
whatever, whatever the conditions, he's sore today, doesn't feel like it. He still got to get out and go to work because he's trying to earn himself a college scholarship. And how many of you were willing to do that? That that's the question. I mean, granted, it does take some God given ability, but you still have to sacrifice to be able to do it. It's always weird to me when you can be envious of the shoes that somebody else puts on and not be willing to metaphorically put them on yourself. So, you know, we got we got athletes who are making millions and millions and millions of dollars for their college athletic programs and the colleges in general. Like they are generating all of this revenue. And I just look at somebody and say, like, if you are the most valuable person at your job and you could say that they literally could not function if it was not for you and that other people's paychecks were dependent upon you showing up and performing but your entire um your entire compensation from that company is the uniform you get to wear to work the desk that you get to sit in at work and lunch in the break room at work, but no paycheck. <laughs> they would say like, that's insane. And, and I would say, okay, but what about the people out there who don't get lunch in the break room at work and don't have new clothes to wear that their employer provides? And what about all those people that would love to sit in an air conditioned office at your desk? And you'd say too bad. Like they're not in my position making money, for the company, I'm worried about myself. And and people can see that. They can see that when you make it about them, but you have to force them into that situation. I think the, the one of the biggest reasons, and uh, I, I got in a massive online argument with, uh, you, you probably know him from political Twitter. Have you ever seen Eugene Scott? Yeah. Okay, so Eugene Scott, he, worked, he went to Harvard, he, he worked for CNN, he's somewhere else now. Me and Eugene Scott used to go to church together <laughs> here in Tempe, Arizona. So I knew him, he followed me on Twitter, I followed him. Uh, and, and back in the day, I said something, I mean, this is years ago. I remember tweeting, like, I, I really hope that college football players can start to get the piece of the pie that they deserve, which is just that, that it be proportional that everybody else is making more and more money every single year. I hope that the kids can see an increased portion because their portion has stayed the same size. And he went into this whole thing about how all the athletes on campus were the most spoiled and, and you know, he had to work for everything and he would love to get some of the advantages that they got and everything like that. You know, this is a few years ago, so maybe he's changed his tune or whatever. But I remember just at the time, like knowing Knowing Eugene, knowing how um, into like different social justice issues and causes he was, and I just couldn't, I couldn't get him to see past the fact that other people he went to college with had more than him. Like he couldn't, it couldn't register with him that it's because they did more. Like that, I, I couldn't make those two things connect. And I've, I've struggled really, really hard to figure out how to make that simple thing connect in people's minds. What are the million different ways that you can say this to say, you know, well, they have all this stuff that a regular student doesn't have. A regular student doesn't net millions for the university. It's just, it's, it's very, very simple. 
I mean, w- would you get mad? You know, the the whole like uh, Macaulay Culkin had like seven brothers and sisters, and and a few of them got on TV. But he was doing Home Alone and Richie Rich, Michael Jackson music videos. Um, his brothers and sisters could certainly get mad if he had the coolest stuff in his bedroom at their house, <laughs> right? They could, yeah. yeah. But at some point, you have to face down the truth that like, but. <laughs> Who paid for those things? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, like, mm, like we get it, but, oof, you know, uh, my colleague did go to work every day. Yeah. And then, so that's, I, that's just, I want people to see like, yeah, it might look like those students who, who aren't there for school for the most part, and you're there for school and you're taking on debt and they're not, and you understand what that debt means to you and your lifestyle. Um, from here on out and you're taking harder classes you're both considered students um when you're doing a lot more student oriented things than than maybe they are and you can look at that situation and say um you know they they don't uh they're already good like they're already good they're not wondering where their next meal is coming from um for the most part like why should they get more and I understand that perspective in a vacuum. I don't understand that perspective when everything is laid out on the table of of like, hey, that's all they're allowed to have, but it's everything that their effort has paid for. It would it would also be nice if that level of energy was put toward the coaches and their inflated salaries. And I just don't ever see that. And that's the yep. thing that gets really confusing for me is it's okay for an offensive coordinator to pull in 1.2 million, but it's not okay for your, you know, running back to um, tweet out a Patreon for his rap album. <laughs> right. Right. That's bro. You hit the nail right on the head with that one. Um, Okay, so one of the issues with coming back, obviously, has been testing, 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 myocarditis and contact tracing. Those are the three things that have stopped the Big Ten, stopped the Pac-12, stopped the states out here on the West Coast. And now with the Pac-12's new testing partners, which actually really started in in Arizona. Um, So there was the regular tests. That took 48 hours, the the uh, standard, you, you know, t- testing per procedures where they spin them up a few times, all of that when in, in the machines. So now there's this antigen, antigen test that takes 15 minutes. Started in Arizona. They started with 25 tests and they did 1,000, then they did 10,000, then they did 25,000 tests. And they're getting in between 96 to 98% the same results as the old school 48-hour test, which means that if you take um, a test on back-to-back days that you're going to be looking at um, like 99% accuracy. So, okay. So um, that puts the Pac-12 in a position to potentially come back. And financially, you're looking at for testing for football, I think alone they were talking about like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in testing, and the testing is uh, the device that you use is is portable. 
that it's a reasonable situation that test costs instead of being like 35 bucks or like 21 bucks a piece. So this is a big deal. And now this may bring, bring the PAC 12 back. And you know, the, the big 12 is adopting this same testing procedure, even though they haven't fully rolled it, rolled it out yet. So Ralph, where do you see things headed? I was excited when I first, I, you know, I was tuned into the press conference with Larry Scott and the founder of uh, Quidel, I think the company is called. And then they had a couple of doctors on there too. And um, I, I was pretty psyched until Bruce Feldman asked the question of like, hey, do you have this relationship with other teams? And the founder of Quidel was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't have disclosure agreements from them to to be able to talk about our, our partnership, but yes. And so I went into this thinking that the PAC 12 got a hold of something that was super innovative <laughs> and unique to unique to us. And then I realized like, Oh no, this is just a, another Larry Scott press conference that could have been a press release. <laughs> like this is completely unnecessary. They're already working with a bunch of other teams. Why are we out here making a big deal out of doing the things that we're supposed to do? Somebody so, asked me, um, the, the, this dude named Aaron Torres that I do a show with sometimes on Fox Sports Radio, he said, why does every single time the Pac-12 make a press release, they act like it's the greatest thing in the whole world? He said, he, <laughs> he, he, he said everything is like, oh my God, this is the one, this is the game changer, this is the most amazing thing in the whole world. And then you find out it's pretty regular. Yeah, and I, I, I hate that I got tricked. And I did. I did. Like until Bruce Feldman asked that question, I was like, "Whoa, this is this is going to be massive. Like this is this is going to be really great." And then it like come to find out, the Pac-12 is just partnering as a as a conference with a company that a bunch of other schools had already partnered with individually, including schools within the Pac-12. <laughs> and so, you know, that 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 was a little bit frustrating to me and then um well, I think it was Nicole Arabach asked about the cost and they said that that was confidential. And I, I don't know if that didn't sit right with me um, because he did say that the schools were going to absorb the cost of the tests. And then with the university of Utah, just furloughing everybody and shutting everything down. I remember calling you and being like, are they doing that to avoid not having to purchase a bunch of quite ill tests. Like I, that, that was the first thing that came <laughs> to my mind. I was like, did they just save themselves a bunch of money? And so, um, loved, loved the initial idea of a press conference saying like, Hey, we're making progress. Did not love having a press conference to not be able to say anything definitive or give the type of transparency that should probably be afforded to taxpayer funded institutions. And did also also was not a huge fan of finding out that there wasn't really anything unique about this, so the pomp and circumstance was a little bit um, unnecessary. But the, the the idea that this is out there and can be used to potentially, you know, not only save the football season but really help track for public health, you know, the 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 spread and and origins of outbreaks and everything like that. You know, that that part of it is is really exciting because the more we understand about this disease and who it affects and who are susceptible and 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 what long-term side effects, you know, to look out for, the more that we know, the better off we're going to be. And so just the the science behind everything that's going on excites me. Um the way the Pac-12 used it 
to give itself a pat on the back. Um, did not, did not. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad, dude. And, and then when he asked to be on Dan Patrick too, and he's made his rounds on a couple other shows, it was like, you asked to be on. Well, I thought you were going to say something. You know, he didn't come on and give us any groundbreaking news. Like you, you don't see Greg Sankey uh, calling in commissioner of the big of the SEC calling in to give some like some non news news. You know what I mean, like it, like it, it could be done in a tweet just as easily as anything else, and it would not create false hope with uh with uh people but i remember asking i'm like should i watch this and you're like no <laughs> like imagine we have a pack 12 podcast and it would probably behoove me to like follow along what our conference commissioner is doing within the national media and i was like hey is this a thing because i got tricked yesterday and you're like it's not and i did not watch it because i i mean at this point it's just you know he he rarely has anything to say anything new. He, he's not yeah, the type he's of person to grift his way into a new contract. He is, he is doing everything possible to position himself to get a new contract that so he can screw up another television deal. He is the Ikea furniture of conference commissioners. Like, <laughs> you got to put it together yourself you and, put it together and without yourself. great instructions yeah you got to put it together yourself so it's your your time your effort your labor and at the end of the day it's mostly just particle board <laughs> and so you know that, that and that's really uh, like I, I i was like oh man he's gonna be on dan patrick awesome george should i watch this and you're like no <laughs> so i mean that's kind of where no, we're at gone. Yeah, <laughs> do I'll not waste your time. release that says, has the date of kickoff. That's the next time that I'll give him my full attention. Facts. Um, somebody who uh, a team that okay, there there was some sad news this past weekend. Obviously, the Pac-12 what was not playing, but a game that I was looking forward to was Oregon versus Ohio State. Oh, were you looking forward to that game? (laughs) You you think. (laughs) It was in Eugene. I had made sure I didn't have to work. Dude, I had planned this out. I was taking my whole family, like everything. Dude, this was the game. I've been looking forward to this game for years, right? And but, but, But on a side note, as we've seen with scheduling, we don't need to schedule games 20 years in, in, in advance. It can be done in a week, obviously. Um, but so we can do it a year in advance, but that's, but I digress. Um, the, it was sad because even if the PAC 12 were playing, that game would have been canceled anyway. So I want to give a shout out to the people in Northern California, the people in Oregon who are suffering from the fires I know you guys are really going through it. You know, I'm talking about the football game, but like the orange skies, the 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 hazardous air, the breathing conditions. I pray that everybody's house, home, and families are are doing a okay. I got a, a groomsman of mine who is a wildland firefighter. Um, 
smoke jumper and he had spent most of the year in Arizona uh, and uh, up until a couple of weeks ago. And I reached out to him and asked him, you know, how, how he's doing. Cause he was out here fighting fires in 120 degree weather, you know, sleeping outside. And, and uh, he was like, well, um, on, on the positive, you know, fire season, uh, it looks like it, it could be coming to a close soon. And Arizona made sure all my bills are paid for the rest of the year. And I was like, all right, man, be safe. And, uh, and, you know, thinking that, uh, thinking that, you know, it was kind of going to be the end of the season for him. And, uh, he's been, he's been out in California for, for three weeks now and, and will be there for the foreseeable future. And so, you know, hopefully they can get some of this stuff contained and, um, you know, we can maybe start to take a, a, a little bit more of an honest look at, uh, why the entire West coast is, uh, is a giant burning, um, hellscape because it's very possible that we might have something to do with it. So, uh, hopefully, um, I mean, yeah, hopefully people are safe. I, I don't know. You still got connections in Oregon, George. I heard, you know, a bunch of people are having to uh, evacuate. You have yeah. any people up there that had to take off? Yeah. Yeah. I know a bunch of people that, that, that did. And unfortunately they, their families either live in Northern California or in Oregon or in Washington. So there's nowhere to go. You know what I mean? So like their evacuation only l- led them to another place that needed, that may ultimately need to be evacuated. I think at the end of the day, everyone's just going to have to follow Joe Rogan to Texas. Yeah. 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 yeah you can't burn everything up there. <laughs> uh, cause of the, because of the t- topography, but, um, but yeah. And the the whole point of that was just that the Ohio State Oregon game wasn't happening this weekend, regardless. Like so, because of the smoke quality, because of the air quality, and all of that, and that made me kind of sad. And then also, just would you have been about, opposed? Would you have been opposed to them moving it to Columbus? No, no, uh, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, because like the game would have had to be played. Uh, See, but I don't know if they would have done it because it puts the team at such a unique disadvantage because their their hearts and minds are back at 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 home. They're worried yeah. about their people, their dogs, their loved ones. You know what I mean? Like it, it just puts you at a and then the uh, coaches' homes, their, their their families, administrators, all the people that have to go to the games. I think that that you know playing it would have been very difficult, even if the season were going on. I absolutely love discussing twice canceled hypothetical football games with you. <laughs> um, but well, e- e- even if the even if the season was still well, I actually well, if the season does go on and the Big Ten and the uh, Pac twelve do marry schedules, I was hoping that that could come to a quicker agreement than not because. Oregon was going to have one of the best secondaries in the country. And now they're going to be very young <laughs> because they have Diamador Lenore starting corner. They've had um, Thomas Graham starting corner and Panay Sewell, all world, one of the best, best Pac-12 linemen in a long time, all leave to the NFL draft. So Did they bounce too early. Mm. Okay, so here is Panay Sewell. Absolutely not. If he were my son, he'd be making this exact same decision. 
We'll wrap you up in bubble wrap, and then we're going to go. But see, I think did I see I tweeted from the Pac-12 Apostles account, and I didn't check the uh, the ultimate results of the poll. But I think it was, you know, where would you take him? And I think it was first overall uh, behind only Clemson's quarterback. Three through five or six through ten. Where do you fall on that? Um, I mean, I think that the only player that you take above him is well, if it it, it depends on who gets that draft pick. You know what I mean? Like if you're a team that like if your quarterback, like if if Tua got hurt or something, or and Miami didn't win a game and they end up with the number number one draft pick, I'm not taking Trevor Lawrence, like I'm going to take Panay Sewell, but uh, you don't think Steve Kahn maybe set the trend for that by taking Kyler Murray right after Josh Rosen? Uh, well, they hired a new head coach. Yeah, I, that's I, fair. I think that's the, fair. Yeah, I think the situation was 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 different. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. Um, that the circumstance played big into it, and they were trying to convince Kyler Murray to not play baseball too. Yeah. So he had to, you know, he kind of had to be the number one pick for him to, you know, just be like, all right, dude, I'm done with, with, with baseball because he realized that he could make more from being a top flight quarterback than you can playing baseball without being one of the most elite players in the whole league. Yeah. Um. Okay. So the, so you have Oregon players leaving and plus Walker little from, from Stanford, there are a few, like how many other Pac-12 players do you think are going to opt out of the season? Because w- what I told a couple of them when I talked to them was, I said, here's the thing that you have to pay attention to. Is The first thing is people always over, well, typically they overvalue how they see themselves versus how the NFL sees them. Uh, that's the first thing. I mean, prime prime example, the tight end at, uh, Washington and Trey Adams a lot. Well, what, what was his name? Hunter and the uh, the tackle Trey Adams, who neither one of them got drafted, coming out as juniors. So that's the first thing. I know there were some injuries potentially involved with it and stuff like that, but but still, the other thing is is that you ha- if the NFL season does get stopped for whatever reason because of COVID or does have to push back and pushes back the draft to like June or something, then you would be better off playing because there's going to be a lot of people who make money in between there with their seasons that are going to be, be played like prime example, guys like Joe, Joe Burrow last year and other people like him who flew up the draft board because of how well they played. So you have to take that into account. So if it were me, I would not, declare to leave yet i would be still in a wait and see mode but but still working out yeah well so why what's the point of announcing now when the possibility could exist that a season uh and maybe mid-november is ready to go and you would end maybe around the same time that you would end otherwise why make the decision now i don't I don't I don't know. I think that there's a level of kind of understanding that, that you want to have a plan, but it's not necessary at this time because like 
you can still be working out training without having an agent and all of that. So I, I would stick to that as of right now, unless I am Panay Sewell, unless I am Trevor Lawrence or, you know, a top tier player where I know where I'm going to get drafted for sure. Cause he's not falling out of the first, first round. So like, there's no way. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. So I'm going off to go work out, but if I'm not sure where I land or I think I'm second, third, fourth round, mm, nah, I'm gonna play this season, buddy. And try to. What, so what do you out. think? You think, you think Walker little is, is a day one or day two pick. Oof. See that, and that, and that's the thing is, is that you don't know at this point point in time. Like I think that he was such a high recruit that there was a lot of buzz surrounding him. But what did he do? He he missed last last season, right? Yes, I think he missed either yeah. most of so, last season. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of film. So I don't even know how to evaluate him for the NFL. Like, how do you do that? So I think that he's taking a very, I don't know if it's calculated, because I don't know how you can calculate it, but he's taking a risk. That's true. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I do wonder why um, they couldn't have waited until November or something like that. Um, But I mean, there's also not that many surefire NFL draft picks. In the Pac-12, I think a lot of people need to needed to prove themselves, and I think the guys that have declared so far are ones who we wondered whether or not they were even going to come back. So, and and you know, Panay Sewell would have gone pro if he had the ability. So, um, you know that that part of it is is understandable. What's going to be interesting is if we start to get some people who, you know, would maybe have been undrafted betting on themselves to go work out, you know, that that'll be the real interesting thing is if there's guys out there like Arizona States, Merlin Robertson or something like that, um, who would have a ton left to prove, but, you know, but he's got a couple of kids and he said, you know, I'm, it's the NFL life for me or nothing, you know, that, that, that's when it'll get really interesting for me because, you know, you're also worried about putting your lack of film up against uh, other conferences, you know, kids who, who do have uh junior film and that, that, that could cost you a lot. Uh, but then again, some people bet on themselves and we end up being wrong. I mean, did you see, uh, did you see JJ Taylor get a bunch of reps for the Patriots this last weekend? That doesn't mean that he made the right decision, dude. He cost, you don't think I mean, so? No, no, dude. Like w- when you go undrafted, you miss out on so much money and so much opportunity. Would he have been and, drafted though? He's like five foot six. Uh, who, who, who knows? A better season at Arizona? Yeah, maybe. I mean, and 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 just this little bit of success does not mean that he's going to get a lot more success because when you are drafted higher, you get more opportunities. That means that the, the team has something invested in you. They will find ways to make roles for you. Like that's the difference is that, is that the teams will do so much more to try to make it work. See, I don't know. And then, but there's part of me that thinks if Bill Belichick can find a way to use you on the football field, 
whether you're drafted or not, because this was JJ Taylor made it the 17th straight year that they opened up the season with a UDFA on the active roster, uh, which is wild to think about. But some of those guys that he's done that with have gone on to have NFL careers elsewhere, whether it's Danny Woodhead, um, who was another, you know, very diminutive uh, do everything back. DJ Foster was another one out of Arizona state who is going on his fourth year in, in the NFL. I think he's on the Arizona Cardinals active roster right now. And it's because you get in there, you get a little NFL film, you prove you can do it against NFL competition. You might be able to turn that into a, a decent little free agent contract and choose where you go. And so, you know, obviously it's the exception to the rule. It's it, that shouldn't be your plan, but I don't know if JJ Taylor would have been drafted regardless. You know, if you're talking about guys like Eno Benjamin going in round six, Josh Kelly going in round five, do you really think JJ Taylor would have been picked if he spent one more year in Arizona with that depleted offensive line? And then you might not have even had a season at all. So, you know, he, he could have been just sort of lost to, to history. So sometimes I think if you, if you really know, and and you go out there and you bet on yourself. That's that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I bet on myself and came out early, so I can't begrudge anybody else from doing it. I just know that it makes it a lot harder on yourself. Um, the 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 school down the road from Oregon in Eugene, though Oregon State, they have said that that their fans have said that they do not want a refund on season tickets. Um, if you had season tickets to Arizona state, Ralph or Arizona, you know, if for the Arizona Amsdens, would you, uh, would you be requesting a refund for your tickets or would you let the school keep it? Uh, man, in this economy, that that's why this story stood out to me. You know, we're, t- we're talking about a story, um, that uh, that I had sent you uh, over Twitter, where a, a huge bulk of the Oregon State fan base um, have decided that I what is it ninety two percent of the twenty twenty football season ticket holders are telling the schools keep the money. So I and I don't think that's even um, that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're straight donations. I think only thirty percent of that is a donation to the school. So that means 30% of season ticket holders are eating the cost of the 2020 season tickets, assuming there's no 2020 season. And the other 62% are asking that it be moved toward a deposit toward next year's tickets. So I, I could see being in a position where I asked to shift my deposit, but in, in this economy, dude, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could say, "Hey, yeah, just keep my money." Mm, yeah, bro, I'm not. I'm not saying that, especially when they mismanage the money to be in this situation to begin with. Like, as much as I love schools, you know, we all have the schools that we cheer cheer for, and they could not have expected something so severe that that season would get canceled or pushed back or anything like that. I still believe that it's been a mismanagement of funds to protect amateurism that they're like, that they want to cry poor. Oh, we spend every dollar. And when, especially the bulk of their money that they're spending or that they're, that they say they're saving is for 
scholarships where they're like, oh, we have to pay the school for our scholarships. And I know that it is, but it's a zero sum game. You know what I mean? Like where the athletic department then writes the school a full tuition check, uh, out of state tuition check for a kid coming like that. That's just wild to me, but is what it is. So, yeah, so I they would not be keeping my money. If if I wanted to make a donation, that's a separate thing. But keeping my money for, for season tickets and I don't get some benefit from it, that's a no for me, buddy. I mean, I could see – I could see – so, like, you know, let's say it was University of Wyoming, you know, and I, I, I root for them. And, and Craig Bull, their head coach, has done some pretty incredible things. They got 13 guys in the NFL right now. That's more than U of A. That's more than ASU, I think. So like, and and it's university of Wyoming. And so I could see, I could see maybe if it's a school that I root for that I don't owe money to, but like, I still owe a bunch of money for my liberal arts degree from Arizona state. And if they asked to keep my money, I'd say, all right, well, how about I get a refund on some of my, my, uh, student, (laughs) student loans. (laughs) Right, right. Like, yo, I'm, 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 I'm gonna need some of that debt forgiveness up off you there. You know, I, I understand that you're in a pinch, but uh, you know, you know, we, we, we all have needs. You know what I mean? Right. How about, how about we cancel a few months of interest payments on these loans, and y'all can keep my season ticket money? Ooh, see, see, that's what I'm talking about, dude. See that because because they've already recouped way more than than they loaned out so yeah i would be in full favor of that as well um now on to recruiting though because recruiting is a big deal and i have wondered how recruiting was going to play out as the pandemic and the season have been um, un- unfolding. If Pac-12 teams could start to see decommits, would they still be getting commits? How all of this would work? How has it shaped sh- been shaking out Ralph Amsden? Well, first of all, we haven't had a chance to talk about this, but how is Utah going to recruit? Yeah, they-, they furloughed the coaching staff. Like, I don't understand. Like, that's to me, that seems like you just gave up. Yeah, I furloughing everybody is wild. Like, how are recruits even going to be able to get their questions answered? I mean, because you're furloughed, so are you allowed to work in recruiting capacity? You shouldn't be. Yeah, because you're not getting paid to do it. And right now, Utah has nine commits. Nine. They're, Which any other year at this point in the year would be really good. Yeah. But, but this year it's terrible. Yeah, but when everybody around them has – I mean, uh, Stanford is is up. They've gotten a few more. They're up to 11. But when you're talking about Power 5 schools, the only schools even reasonably near them are like – Vanderbilt, uh, Colorado's way better. I mean, they're behind UNLV, uh, UCF. I'm sorry, uh, University of Central Florida and University of South Florida. I mean, 
then you're already up to Illinois, Ole Miss, who are way better, Appalachian State, Florida, Atlantic, Cincinnati. Come on, Memphis, Kansas, Boston College, Georgia Tech, and Rutgers. Rutgers is in the 30s. Like, come on, man. What are, what are we doing here? Like, how do know. you – like, how do – this is why Utah fans – I, and I know you guys listen, so I don't want you to take this as a negative because you fans are absolutely terrific. However, the idea that you think that you're going to take a bunch of three-star athletes and go win the Pac-12 or compete for a national championship is absolutely craziness. Last year was craziness. Like the idea that they thought that they were going to go beat Oregon maybe win the pack to maybe go to the college football playoff and have a shot. You don't have the, it takes a certain level of athletes to be able to compete on that level. And they saw it at the quarterback position. Cause I said it all year. I said, Tyler Huntley is going to have to be great at least two games that during the season to, to a save the season, to have a perfect season, anything like that. He's going to have to be great in two games. And he's and he wasn't a good enough of a quarterback in terms of a passer and in must-pass situations because if you stop Utah from running the ball, he can't beat you. And it proved it. Well, so so I don't know how they really expect to win at a high level because as good as <clears throat> like imagine if you took Whittingham and put him at USC. What do you think would would happen? Uh, that's tough because I mean, if you put him at USC with the current staff they have, no, no, I'm talking about if you take Utah's full staff, put them at USC with the talent at USC. Do you think USC would win more football games? I don't know if if he can re- recruit to USC, but it recruits itself on some level. But do you? I would think say that- give it three years. And after Morgan Scally probably gets beat up in the parking lot once or twice, they will be perennial Pac-12 South champions. He's just too good at developing. Yeah, but you could he recruit, change. Um, like I, Like you said, the school kind of recruits itself. So, I don't know. It's a different level of kid. I think that he could do what he does at Utah, at USC, and still win just because the natural athlete that's going to commit to the school over the staff is going to be better than the one that commits to Utah. So it's, it's unavoidable. He'll be working with better athletes regardless, in my opinion. That makes sense. That makes sense. Even if he was worse recruiter than Dante, than pre Dante Williams USC, I think it, they would still be better off. Yeah, I mean, uh, all right. So let let's look for a second at USC re- recruiting. How much better is it really? Okay, because they have Miller Moss and Jake Garcia, right? Um, yes. Miller Moss is supposed to check in in the winter time. Jay Garcia is probably checking out of there. It's possible. I mean, that, that rumors have been there forever, yeah. but if he hasn't done it yet, 
Yeah, but he's he's playing his season. He's down in Georgia. He may go to my Miami. I mean, th- but but also if you have two uh, high four star quarterbacks, you really only have one. Like it doesn't do you any good to recruit two. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe I don't know injuries. You never know. You, yeah, but you they never both know. can't play. That is the, is, the, is the point is is that yeah th- those two cancel each other out, right? Would you? Well, my, would you but it might not matter because they could get a quarterback in the class of twenty twenty two that is better than both of them. Yeah. So and it uh, really depends. And, and Jake Garcia to me is a deep ball guy, and Miller Moss is a dink and dunk guy. So they're two very different styles of quarterback. And so I think a lot of it's going to matter is you know what what kind of offense are you running when both these guys get on campus because if they end up losing uh graham harrell and they go back to more of a pro style then that probably fits um in my opinion that probably uh, fits jake garcia a little bit better if they stick with what they have now you know and they want to throw 50 times a game miller moss is probably the guy that you're you're going to want to go with but I, I think it's better. I mean, just in this class alone, if we're going by rivals rankings, they have 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 four-stars in the class of 2021. So you okay. want to compare that to last year? Well, well, I, I had two. I get that, but it's still USC. And so l- let's just play, you know, like, the reading the tea leaves from what's outside you've had Jake, Jake Garcia, who is a, who there is a chance he could decommit. They uh, there's the kid Gayote uh, Ote who transferred to Vegas, right? Uh, I think maybe, maybe um, yeah, he might've. And then Saya uh, Mapakai Tolo, just moved to Mesa, Arizona, so that he could have a senior season. Yeah, and and they think that uh, Gayoteote he may not quali- qualify or may end up having to decommit or something like that. So you're looking at and uh, because I read all the the uh, the uh, sites, and this is coming from the USC sites as well that they believe that the kid um, that the kid. Quadre Davis from uh, Texas, he may decommit as well at some point in time. So it's like if those three chips fall, that's three. That's three of your. Uh, that's three of your top five commits. Yeah, but I mean, then you're still and, looking at eleven and four don't stars have this year offensive. versus two. And and they don't have any offensive linemen. They got. They got. Uh, Mason Murphy, Murphy, yeah, and Maximus Gibbs. Maximus Gibbs is a big dude, so they they got a couple, but they got six in last year's class, so they don't need to go crazy on. Yeah, but they, they were all. I, I'm I'm talking about highly rated. Yeah, I understand. There's not a lot of highly rated offensive linemen on the West Coast, though. There, the one that Oregon just pulled is up there, though. I mean, how crazy is it that you get to replace? Panay Sewell, who, according to rivals, and I don't know why we did this, but we dropped him 14 spots in our final rankings. <laughs> yeah. Panay Sewell was the number 60 overall player in the country coming out of high school, according and he to. should have been the number, what, two? 
probably. I mean, but but even I had some doubts about him because he was playing in St. George, Utah against just absolute. I mean, the biggest defensive end he probably. Wait, he was playing in St. St. George. I've been to St. George. I like that place. It's nice, but I don't it think is nice. football hotspot. Yeah, but I, I probably the defensive end that put had the most weight that on that he had to face all year is probably one ninety. So he was doing stuff in his film, like he was picking up guys and straight throwing them to the moon. <laughs> and and I remember watching that film and being like, "Well, this is going to be a rude awakening for Panay Sewell because it's not like you're not going to be able to do that." And then you know, of course. No, that's exactly what you should be doing. You should be <laughs> dominating lesser competition. And so I for some reason I took it as, you know, once everything levels up, he might struggle. And that wasn't the case at all. Obviously, he's probably the best offensive lineman I've ever had a chance to watch um in my at least in the last nine years of covering um football in the in in the you know western United States. And so, you know, but they get to replace him. <laughs> they get to replace him with another offensive lineman from Utah, from Orem, Utah, six foot five, two hundred and sixty-five pounder, uh, and they, that was one of two commits that they've got in the last couple of weeks. They got Jabril McNeil from Raleigh, North Carolina, which um, prompted a pretty funny tweet from an Oregon staffer saying, "You know, who said we couldn't go out east to recruit?" And I was thinking to myself, like. Literally everything is east of Eugene, but okay. Um, and then <laughs> you, the line- <laughs> you you of course have to be that guy. Contrarian, yeah. Uh, Kingsley Suamataya, Orem, Utah, 6'5", 285 pounds. And he, we have him at Rivals as the number 63 overall player in the country. So some parallels to him and Panay Sewell, even though he's about uh, 80 pounds lighter than Sewell was coming out of high school. But Sewell cut a lot of weight, I think. Um, but so yeah, that was a, that was really big. Um, Arizona State has had some success recently uh, recruiting, especially wide receivers, and and they've continued their national approach. They landed somebody on September 11th named Dominic Lovett out of East St. Louis, Illinois. He's a four-star wide receiver, um, and that means that they now have players out of Illinois, Texas, California, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. North Carolina, Louisiana, Washington, Virginia, and Florida and Michigan. So Arizona State has gone full Big Ten with their yeah. uh, with their recruiting, and everybody else has been kind of relatively quiet. I mean, I think Washington has had some success, but um, Cal had a bunch of commits in the first two weeks of August. Uh, they had one on the 31st of July, and that was that rolled off a five-in-two-week streak for them, uh, four of which are all from California, one's from Clackamas, Oregon. Um, and so, and then things have been kind of quiet for them. They have 18 total commitments. And I think, you know, all everything seems to adversely affect Stanford. Um but I think that they're in an interesting situation right now where they only have 10 total commits. And usually around this time, that might be where they're at, but they usually have a couple of top 50 in the country um, on the hook. And they don't have any of that this year. They have nine three stars and a two star. So, I mean, probably the best commit that they have on board. There better be two 
two scar Scooby. I don't think so. It's a running back out of Clearwater, Florida. <laughs> so I, I don't know, man. I think that uh, I think Stanford and Utah are are definitely in a little bit of trouble. It would be, what would be interesting is if Utah landed a commit during their furlough. What would they? Because their last commit they got on August thirty first from Mason to Faga out of Hawaii, and. So it would be really interesting to me to see if, like, would they all be able to tweet about it? <laughs> Can they all tweet about it? Who, who do, if a tree falls in the forest, there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a sound? Did it really sign his letter of intent? I mean, like, how can you actually do a good job of recruiting players? It, I mean, I don't know. I think that that furloughing your staff is probably the last thing that you want to do in your most important sport on campus. And then this feels very Larry Scott like to like to like (laughs) to like show. See, look, all our sports are are equal, but they're not though. They're not. Yeah, yeah, and I just I don't know. It's weird because everybody has so many commits right now. that the classes could be close to complete, but with other teams elsewhere in the country playing, you know, that might be a way to negatively recruit against the PAC 12 and lure some of these players away. So it'll, that, that'll be the really interesting thing to see is if, if, if the PAC 12 can hold on to all of their commits while they're not playing football. Yeah. Yeah. Now I definitely, I think that that's going to be very, very interesting because teams are obviously going to be trying to negatively recruit, but it hasn't affected. I mean, it it hasn't affected Arizona state. It hasn't affected Oregon so far. It's just going to be a matter if they can close them. You know what I mean? Getting those players to, to signing day, like that, that's going to be the key. The, the PAC 12 needs to just, they need to be sending out these NFL highlights because Josh Kelly scored a touchdown in his first ever NFL game. LaVisca Chenault went off in his first ever NFL game. And he's catching touchdown passes from Gardner Minshew from, from Washington State. And so it's yeah, and then Zach Moss. Zach Moss got in the end zone. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and uh um what's his name? We were we were talking about him earlier. Um Ah, somebody else had a, a a good game. Oh, uh JJ Taylor. JJ Taylor, yeah. JJ Taylor had a good game. Nikhil Harry almost cost the <laughs> Oh almost yeah, yeah, he did fumbling the, the ball out of the back of the end zone. But he only had twelve catches as a rookie. He I think he had five on Sunday. Yeah. So he's oh, back, he's which is on, nice. He's on pace for a, a a good start. Yeah, and so I mean, well, if you I think five catches a game gets you to like 90 catches or something like that. So if he can keep this pace, he'll, he'll, he might win comeback player of the year. But like all these guys that all that went to all these different schools that are now having NFL success, you know, whether it's Gardner Minshew, you know, we might not have been able to get Gardner Minshew drafted, but look, you know, LaVisca Chenault might not have gone in the first round. Like he probably should have, according to his talent and not his injury history, but he's out there doing touchdown dances where he's bowling for his teammates, which I, I absolutely love, uh, you know, Josh Kelly, probably being good enough to be the feature back in in LA where he played is is wild and then Zach Moss fits in so well in Buffalo he's already having success he was a late round pick um you know Eno Benjamin I thought he was Frank Gore dude 
I thought he was Frank <laughs> Gore because they look like the same dude when they're when they're running. I have to remember that Frank Gore plays for a different team now. Frank Frank Gore, if you cut his feet off, he's <laughs> much shorter. It feels like. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so but that does remind me um, the results of our poll about Panay Sewell. Uh, did you know we had we only had fifty votes on the poll, and zero percent said that he should go first overall. Well, that's because they know who Trevor Lawrence is. Yeah, yeah. So forty-one percent said second behind Lawrence. Thirty-nine percent said three to five. Twenty percent said six to ten. And I want to know who that twenty percent is because that's. That's not happening. He's not. He's not making it all the way to six. No, no. Uh, yeah. the The only way is is if you know, like, like the the furthest he probably falls is three, which would put Trevor Lawrence and then and then Justin Fields for a quarterback needy team, and then Panesol. Like that's the furthest he falls is three. Totally. <laughs> um. And oh, so were, were there any other players, Pac-12 players in the NFL that uh, were notable that we that maybe we were surprised about? Well, um, Eno Benjamin. What what's tough for Arizona State fans is Eno Benjamin cost DJ Foster a roster spot. Uh, DJ Foster got bumped down to the practice squad. And it's tough for people who live in Arizona and are Cardinals and Arizona State fans because either Eno Benjamin succeeding means DJ Foster doesn't or vice versa. And then come game time, DJ Foster got elevated to the active roster. And I think Eno Benjamin was inactive but suited up. Uh, so that that whole situation is weird um, but worth monitoring. Uh, and then... I saw on the Patriots depth chart, I watched the Patriots game, but I didn't see that much of him on the field. Uh, but Ossie Ossie, I think, is backup tight end. Yep, yep. For New England. So you have to figure that that means he's going to get um, some play. Uh, Kalen Bellage, who the Dolphins attempted to trade to the Jets, and he failed his physical. Um, I think he ended up just getting let go by Miami, and he got picked up by the Jets. Uh, the Jets. So yeah. he's back. Uh, one of the coolest things that I saw on Sunday was Austin Jackson, former USC left tackle, yeah, he started won the Miami, starting right? job yeah. in Miami. And he's blocking for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I played against in high school when Austin Jackson was just one year old. That's wild, dude. Um, there's also uh, Farrell Brown, former t- tight end at Oregon. I know I, I know this because I talked to him. He just signed with uh, Houston's with the Houston Texans to yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. He just signed with with them to be on their active roster, and because uh, he was in Cleveland, and he may actually have an opportunity to work into the starting uh, lineup in in a t- tight end like he he's a guy who i definitely think has the ability to be a starter in the in the nfl but you know but opportunity th- this thing i was talking about earlier opportunity is not always the same when you don't when you go to certain places and coaches that get too caught up on money or your draft status and they don't always pay attention to you know like the best player or give yeah. you a fair opportunity 
You know who's still uh, plugging along is uh, Mercedes Lewis. He's the number one tight end for uh, for Green Bay. What? I'm expecting him to have a, a, a pretty big year. Uh, yeah, he's he, he like you from from the pack to Jacksonville, and has now is now making his way with the Packers. What, my, what, what did Bambi's mother say? Uh, nothing, cause she's dead. <laughs> oh, Bambi, uh, what did what what did he say? His mom always said, "If you I don't have nothing me. nice to say, then don't say nothing <laughs> nice at all." I mean, then don't say anything at all. Are you not a Mercedes Lewis fan, or or is this about Jacksonville? I have nothing to say. Okay. <laughs> Period. Um, okay, so we can have, we can play start sit cut now. Okay. Okay, so we we didn't play start sit cut on the last episode, but alas, here we are. We must play start sit cut. Um, today we have two topics. The first thing is the Power Five conferences that are still playing. How would you rank? Who are you starting? Who are you sitting? Who are you cutting as far as the Pac-12 conferences that are still playing? We'll start with the starting. Well, I'm going to start the ACC because I think that they've they've been just sort of quietly going about their business. Um, There hasn't been any pot shots that I remember. Uh, There might have been, but they're just not memorable to me. Um, as far as back and forth between the ACC commissioner and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, um, most of those schools, I mean, Florida State took a massive L coming out the gate, but for for the most part, um, you know, Clemson handled business. Clemson has sort of been out in the forefront of um, both wanting to play and also address a lot of the um, you know, social issues that are going on. I think Trevor Lawrence has been an awesome ambassador for the game, even though he has absolutely no reason to even take a snap this year. You know, he's going to be the number one pick regardless. Um, but I'm starting the ACC. I think that they're handling being in the mix the best of the three conferences. Um, I would say, okay, of the three conferences. So the SEC hasn't started yet. Uh, so... I am I'm going to start the SEC. I'm going to start them because they haven't had anything go wrong yet in terms of except for Ed Ogeron today talking about, oh, yeah, I think think my whole (laughs) I think my whole team had COVID already. Like, shut up. You're not an, an immunologist. That's exactly why college football coaches cannot be the medical decision makers. And so, uh, oh, so quick uh, story. The uh, schools are also changing. Some some schools have already changed their policy on how they're dealing with COVID cases. So instead of the medical staffs being involved in it, the kids get a caseworker. And they're not even allowed to tell the trainers or anybody else whether they have tested positive or whether they're just contact quarantined. And then they are allowed to come back once their caseworker clears them. No time before that. So it so it's uh, stops with the HIPAA viol- violations 
And it also, you know, takes the coaches out of the decision makers, uh, out of the decision process being that they've proven that they can't be objective. So I am starting the SEC. They don't start till the 26th. They haven't had anything go wrong so far, aside from a bunch of COVID cases on our campuses, because they won't shut them, shut them down. Um, but yeah, so for right now, I'm starting the SEC. Who are you sitting? I'm, I'd say I'm sitting the SEC because they, they got these kids on campus who just don't care. <laughs> and so I, I would, I would encourage them to, to, to hold back, um, and just understand that like that your campus environment could end up costing you football. And so that's, that, that's the reason they're on the bench for me is until they get the campuses under control um, that, you know, they're, they're putting their whole seasons at, at risk by not making sure that the, the student body understands, you know, what's at risk and, and, you know, isn't just a bunch of um, kids who are stir crazy from being locked in their house uh, for the last six months and, you know, partying out on frat row every single day. Yeah. But then they're going to say, but did you die though? <laughs> um, right. um, I am going to sit the ACC. I'm going to sit the ACC because um, they're literally having to shut down games because they have people on campus, the same thing like the SEC is doing. So they're having to cancel games, so they have to sit out. So they have to sit and start sit cut. Who are you? Uh, who are you cutting? Well, the Big Twelve, because <laughs> they, they at the end of the day, they probably wished that they had stopped. <laughs> you have to, you got to put them out of their misery. I was surprised by what happened to Kansas State. I was appalled by what happened to Kansas. <laughs> Kansas. Okay, so if anybody does, does, doesn't know, so we can openly talk about this, I am sitting the Big 12 too. It was completely obvious because there was only three options. But Louisiana lost to – Louisiana beat Iowa State, who was ranked. Arkansas State beat Kansas State. And Coastal freaking Carolina beat Kansas. And Houston Baptist beat barely missed beating Texas Tech. Houston Baptist. I didn't even know that that was a I mean, is that a HBCU or is it a just a small college? Honestly, no idea. None. Okay. I didn't even know that I didn't even know they had football. Me either, dude. I mean, that's like that's, that's like I found out a couple years ago that Georgetown even played football. So <laughs> I knew a kid who played quarterback for them. Yeah, so that was, I learned about them from him getting the quarterback job. So, yeah, I mean, so yeah, I 12 has been awful, but I don't mind all these upsets though. I'll tell you, I love it. I do love college football without, with all these upsets. And, and, and I hope that this weekend that we get, um, Tulsa beating Oklahoma state, Houston beating Baylor, Florida, South Florida beating Notre Dame. I think these are optimal scenarios for me. Yeah, the the interesting one for me was Iowa State because there was all that hype on um, Purdy, Brock Purdy. And I'll tell you this: I mean, it, it's legit. 
I came up watching him. He is an absolute freak when when he has a rhythm uh, of the offense. I don't know what happened against uh, Louisiana Lafayette, but the funniest thing about that whole game was Billy Napier was the OC at Arizona State when Brock Purdy was the quarterback out at Perry High School out here, and 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 ASU refused to recruit him until it was too late, and then he turned them down to even take a visit to the campus. And so it was it was kind of funny to see those two go to head-to-head, and then Billy Napier got the best of him. And he's done a fantastic job out there um, at Louisiana. I think that one was probably – because Iowa State was supposed to be a Big 12 darling, so that one was probably uh, stung a lot more for the for the conference as a whole than the Kansas State and Kansas one. But the Kansas one to me is what stands out because they didn't just – it's not like they lost a squeaker. They got their ass beat. They gave up 38 points yeah. to Coastal Carolina, which I thought was a baseball school up until last year. So, yeah, I, I, I was shocked that 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 even happened. And it, it if I'm the Pac-12 – I look really hard at not scheduling any Mountain West. We already say it on this podcast all the time. Uh, avoid the Mountain West if at all possible. But I think uh, if the Mountain West comes calling and says, hey, can we get a non-conference game in before we all restart our seasons whenever we restart them? I think the Pac-12 needs to say, you know, new phone. <laughs> Who this? We're not <laughs> We're not interested. Dude. <laughs> you want to wanna go play in Laramie, Wyoming in November? Dude, nobody wants to play in Laramie, Wyoming. I mean, ever? Dude, yeah, dude. <laughs> there. I mean, think. I mean, think about it. They. Who is the last good pro player to come out of Wyoming, anyway? Oh, don't do this! Don't do this! What? We're not. We're not doing this. <laughs> do what? Do what? All right, so we'll eliminate quarterbacks from the competition since we don't want to have a half-hour debate that we already had on the phone earlier this morning. Um, and I will say that Andrew Wingard, the safety for the Jacksonville Jaguars, is was a can't-miss prospect, and everybody missed on him anyway. He went undrafted, and he's already he got a, he, he intercepted Philip Rivers. So um, that's a hell of a pro. I think Brian Hill, running back for the Falcons, he's a real good player. Um, Logan Wilson, uh, is, is good too. Like I said, there's 13 Cowboys in the pros and, and you know what I think of Josh Allen. So, uh, well, I mean, well, well, I would, I would say then, then he's the best Wyoming player to ever play in the NFL then probably because, uh, it certainly isn't bummy Josh Allen. Oh, come on now. Hey, uh, Jay Novacek, we got to give him some. Oh, yo, of course, dude. Of course, <laughs> of course, dude. Yeah, so, dude, I am um a hundred percent um w- with you, dude. In in terms of Wyoming being, you know, good for sending out some NFL players, but Josh Allen just isn't one of them. Um, <laughs> okay. The, the, <laughs> the last start sick cut though is probably gonna make some people up uh, upset. But it's okay. We are going to go tailgating condiments. Tailgating condiments. And this all started off with... Actually, we, we don't even have to go tail, tailgating condi- condiments because 
I had a debate that I talked about on my own podcast, and I want to know where you stand on this. This was the Mayo versus Miracle Whip this debate because my I grew up in a house where we I grew up on Miracle Whip. My father loves Miracle Whip, dude, And, and and as a person who grows vegetables on a lettuce grow in my backyard i pride myself on eating fresh food like real ingredients uh miracle whip is is like fake mayo like i know that mayonnaise is fattening however it's made of real ingredients and so i refuse now to eat miracle whip it's it's like eating sauce i'm not eating sauce anymore (laughs) Um, I used really, you become one of those, huh? You swore off Miracle Whip in all situations, dude. Okay, so when I make it is Miracle, it it is you know it is mayonnaise with with about fifty different fake ingredients, including high fructose corn syrup to make it. So I am okay. out, dude. I don't I don't eat honey sauce, which is. Honey that didn't like when you go to uh, KFC or something, and you get honey packets. That's not honey. That's honey sauce. Okay. It literally says it on the packet. If you eat Miss Buttersworth or Aunt Jemima's or any of those syrups, it's not or log cabin. It is not freaking syrup. It is syrup sauce. And I if it didn't come out the damn tree, if it's not grade A maple syrup, grade B, if you like that then I'm not touching it. Don't give me no damn pancakes with no fake-ass syrup and don't give me no fake-ass honey. And yes, I do have expensive-ass ma- ma- Manuka honey in my in my pantry for when <laughs> I get sick. And so, yeah, so I'm definitely not eating no damn Miracle Whip. All right, well, I would argue that there's a time and place for everything and you grew up eating it and you're fine. Uh, Miracle Whip is to cover up the taste of uh, cheap meat. That's what it's for. I grew up eating some cheap food sometimes uh, for various reasons. And Miracle Whip was something you put on a bologna sandwich to cover up the fact that you have to eat a bologna and craft cheese single sandwich on Wonder Bread. And the Miracle Whip would, would, would do enough of the work to, to make you not completely regret the, the cheese and bologna sandwich eating experience. And so I would say that, you know, I, I, my kids don't have Miracle Whip in the fridge ever. And and my, my wife is one of those people that looks down on, on Miracle Whip eaters, but I'm not, I'm not like you, man. I'm not ashamed of my Miracle Whip consuming past. And I still got a thing of Miss Buttersworth in my kitchen and it doesn't go on the real waffles. It doesn't go on the Belgian waffles. It doesn't go on the waffles that get the little sprinkle of powdered sugar and the homemade whipped cream topping it off with some slices of strawberries. It goes on Eggos. It goes on it goes on cheap frozen waffles. Everything has its place. And I think that you can uh, partake without going overboard. Uh, with with anything now, I I do not have Miracle Whip in in my house, and that is largely an executive uh, decision from the boss of the family. Uh, but I'm not ready to sit back and 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 swear it off and pretend like it it it, it doesn't uh, that that I wouldn't I wouldn't go for it in a pinch because I would. 
Okay. In an emergency? No, I'm going straight mustard, homie. Straight mustard. <laughs> like, I love that bologna sandwich is emergency territory. Dude. And and in, in a, and who the hell eats cold bologna sandwiches anyway? <laughs> dude, I, little Ralph. <laughs> little Ralph did. Dude, if you get a bologna, if you're gonna eat bologna, the only way to eat it is to is to get a skillet, put it in a skillet. Fry it up on both sides, like get that thing the way it bubbles up in the middle, and you gotta like. But you should you should actually score it that way it doesn't uh, buckle, and then uh, and then cook it up. Throw some mustard on both sides. It's like a poor man's pastrami sandwich. <laughs> I like that the assumption the assumption is there that like okay he can't he can't afford sliced turkey, but maybe he can afford to pay the gas bill. <laughs> fry up his bologna although i did I, I did have some college friends who would throw it on a hot plate or uh or an iron exactly i think i think i uh, remember dominique rogers cromarty yeah the nfl cornerback he uh, i watched him back in the early wild west days of twitter when they used to go on the players used to go on Ustream and just talk about whatever i, I remember i remember seeing darnell dockett on Ustream straight up leave the room he'd be like visiting his family in uh in virginia and he would leave the room and his like 11 year old nephews would sit there on his Ustream and say the most horrific shit imaginable (laughs) and i used to just crack up like this is a professional athlete and like there's no real reporters on twitter or anything to really you know, say anything or call anybody out for stuff. It was it was truly the fun days of Twitter. But I remember one of those U streams. Uh, Darnell Dockett had Dominique Rogers Cromarty explain how to uh, how he used to fry bologna at Tennessee State or wherever he went to college on his iron in his dorm room. <laughs> and they just straight up made a sandwich on the on the U stream, and I was like, I should have gone that route with it. Yeah, bro. Yeah, so I mean, dude, there are certain things that have changed out in life, and you know, when when you know better, you do better. I don't I don't eat a lot of things that I used to eat when I was younger. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that, because I grew up in Memphis. Oh, yeah, you, so you now you're out here quoting the Bible, <laughs> dude. I yeah, when when I was young, I did. You're the- doing the adult things for adults yeah yeah yeah. uh all right so if i told you guaranteed guaranteed like guaranteed at least 10 win season for oregon assuming that everything uh was you know according to plan we actually got to have a full season and everything like that all you had to do was straight up eat a jar of miracle whip with a spoon you have enough confidence in your team to get it done without you are you eating the jar of miracle whip 10 wins guaranteed 10 wins guaranteed 10 wins bro we were gonna walk into 10 10 wins this last season so so no i'm not eating the jar of miracle with nine wins at the end of the year you'd be no you'd be regret (laughs) no hell no because because truthfully 10 wins doesn't get you to where you were trying trying to be anyway if you guarantee if you guarantee me a a an undefeated trip to the Pac-12 championship? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll eat it. 
because <laughs> like like you don't even have to guarantee me a win in the Pac-12 championship because I would have enough confidence that they would get get that done and then an undefeated 12 and 0 season plus 13 and 0 Pac-12 champions with as much hype as they came in a season with that would have would you agree that that would be an automatic trip to the college football playoff yeah probably yeah because with ohio state yeah yeah so so yeah bro so yeah yeah so if you guarantee, guarantee me undefeated to the pac-12 championship yeah i will eat that jar of mayo i mean of a uh, miracle whip but you don't you you wouldn't you wouldn't say like all right at least 10 wins hell no i can guarantee it no really nope why would I guarantee to do do? do I do, do it for a bowl appearance. Yeah, of course, of course you <laughs> to would. the Arizona Bowl. I, I don't care. So would so would you do it? You would do it for like a guaranteed nine win season for Wyoming. I would do it to end this podcast five minutes early. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on 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 that note. <laughs> We will end the podcast. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening to the Fact 12 Apostles. We appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate your time. Peace out. Catch you guys next episode.